Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast featuring me, Mike Calvin, the broadcaster Faker Others and Glenn Moore of World Soccer. Everton might be a grand old team to play for, but right now they look like a relegation team. A 68-year sequence in the top flight is under severe threat. Look, of course, it's absurd to blame Frank Lampard for the shortcomings of the owners and several of his predecessors. But he has to find answers and fast. Leeds United are at Goodison in a key game on Saturday. Now it's not quite Lampard's first visit to the last chance saloon, but Glenn, he's got to arrest this slide, hasn't he? Well, he has, obviously. It's harsh to blame him at this early stage, though. I suspect there's probably already people thinking they've made the mistake because that's what football fans are like. I'd say I, I do think Everton will get out. Key players, they need to keep them fit, obviously. But I think what will, what will get them over the line is their home form. We saw when Lampard's debut, you know, that was the FA Cup against Brentford. And we know Brentford, which we come on to, aren't doing very well at the moment. But still, you know, the, the whole change in mood at Goodison, you know, with the, you know, the departure of Benitez and the arrival of Lampard, has, has changed everything. And the, the fans are massively behind him. And that's a wonderful ground to play in when the fans are behind you. And I do think that the home form is not brilliant. It's certainly better than their away form. I think their home form might end up getting them out of trouble, as it has in the past when they've had these problems. Looking back over the years, there's been you know, epic home performances where they're almost driven on to victory against better sides. Oh, yeah, one thing is it's difficult, though. The only thing is it is difficult to build a momentum when you're sort of home away, home away. So you win a game, then you lose a game. You win a game, then you lose a game. And not all, obviously, you know, they're playing Man City at home fairly soon. It might be win a game, lose, lose, lose. But... I think the home form could be absolutely key, but it might involve dragging other teams into it rather than relying on the, keeping ahead of the, the, the teams below them because there is signs of life, quite a lot of signs of life in the teams below them. Yeah, well, I think that's what that's underscoring the game against Leeds, isn't it, Faye? But I just want to dwell on, continue to dwell on, on Everton, if I may. Defensively, they're all over the place. You know, you look at Holgate, he was dazed and confused in, in, in midweek. Mm. Jordan Pickford... You know, there are still odd errors of judgment and perhaps temperament. Now, in midfield especially also, Lampard brought in Deli Alley and Van der Beek. They're going to need time to actually get back, aren't they? Yeah, they're going to need time to get up to speed. But, you know, you have to remember with Everton, they've, they've been hampered by injury all season as well. They've got a new manager coming in who plays a different style of football to the one they've been coached in for the majority of the season under Rafa Benitez. So that's going to take its time as well. 
they seem really nervous when when they're playing. They're not particularly cohesive. But Frank Lampard did warn the supporters after that 4-1 win in the FA Cup over Brentford not to get carried away. And I think he's exactly right. They, They just... It sounds ridiculous to be saying this when we're talking about a team that's been, you know, pushing to to get into the the top six in previous years. But, you know, they just need to survive as it stands. And this game against Leeds at the weekend is is crucial to to that. The way most of these um, kind of relegation battles are going, it could end up being being a draw and doesn't really help anybody particularly. I don't really... uh, It's so difficult. Deli Ali has the spotlight on him all the time and he's a very easy target based on all of the conversations we've had about how he's worked under managers, different managers at, at, at Tottenham. Obviously, he wasn't expecting to come on necessarily as early as he did in, in the game the other day because, you know, again, more injuries to, to have to deal with. And when Frank Lampard's going to be losing Yerry Mina potentially for a little bit of time, Damari Gray, who's been, you know, absolutely fantastic I think he's their second top goal scorer this season that that's going to cause problems and players that haven't been you know haven't featured much in the Premier League this season are going to take time to to get up to speed but I think they'll get there and when they get all their players back and we start to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin back again consistently I think I think they'll be okay. As, as, as Faye mentioned, I don't think injuries can be underestimated. I mean, we saw it with Liverpool last year, we saw it with Leicester this year. I mean, I think it's 13 matches since they've had a clean sheet. But defensive injuries are always more of a problem than elsewhere because you mm. need that understanding between players and so on. And, you know, and now losing, there's been constant defensive injuries. Obviously, they've sold Lucas Digne. Now, Mina's obviously got injured as well. So that is going to be a big problem trying to get that defensive unit set up. Obviously, they have actually scored in nine of the last 10 games, even without Calvert Lewin. And if they defended like Wolves do normally, then that wouldn't be a massive a problem. But obviously, if you're letting in goals all the time, then you need to score. If you need to score two or three each time to win a game, then it does become more of a problem. Yeah, I, I take that point, Glenn. But if you think about it, uh, and this is this probably typifies the confusion around the club in, in that transitional phase between Benitez and Lampard. The January arrivals, uh, Mikalenko, Nathan Patterson, you know, decent defenders. They were nowhere near it, were they? They need to actually come back and, and, and get into the team almost, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, obviously, Pats has not been playing that regularly. Big change, obviously, Mikolenko. It uh, Classic signings in January when you tend to be signing players who aren't playing. I mean, Newcastle, in the end, did pretty well in getting people like Matt Target, who had been playing until quite recently, and Grimalmesh has been playing. You end up signing quite often, and particularly for playing with with Everton's budget, you end up signing players who haven't been playing very much and for various reasons nobody wants them. So they basically effectively brought in four players who you have to try and get up to speed in a team that needs instant results. This is the short-sightedness, though, of the hierarchy at Everton, isn't it? Because really thinking about it, if they thought they might have to let Rafa Benitez go, let him go early in January and bring in a manager straight away. So he has the January transfer window to bring in people he wants to bring in rather than have a couple of days and kind of have to parachute people in who might not be necessarily the right fit. Also, you're not able to give them enough time and enough coaching time to get them up to speed early. So they already feel like they're on the back foot, whereas Newcastle, as an example, did their business a little bit earlier. 
And um, certainly, certainly let him go before you you land to sell one of your best players. Um, yeah. In, in Lucas Digne. Yeah. yeah. But the, well, the board, uh, the precisely. Board lost bearing their nerve. in mind, he was yeah. the reason that, that he left. So crazy. Yeah. The the, the, the board lost their nerve. I mean, they obviously, so they back him regardless, and then there's a terrible match, and they thought, oh, okay, then they lost their nerve. Mm. What about Leeds, Faye? And and specifically the suitability of, of you know a deeply principled, emotionally driven manager like Marcello Bielsa, you know I think people love him for good reason. Do you need a bit of pragmatism in his position? Because essentially it's my way or highway, and they leave themselves open as a result, don't they? Yeah, they do, but they're still a delight to watch. And you go and tell Marcelo Bielsa that he needs to be pragmatic. And I'm sure he'll tell you exactly why he doesn't want to be pragmatic. And I think I actually like a manager who sticks to their principles, even though it appears at times he's cutting his nose off to spite his face a little bit. But, you know, he might not be there come the summer. And and obviously survival is is crucial to, to them. He's already been here four years, which is amazing for, for him as a manager. He doesn't stay at clubs for, for that long. He's got five months left until his current deal expires. Perhaps they're kind of looking already, reports out today, that you know that they're lining up his, his potential replacement if he does decide in the summer that he's, he's done as much as he can. And the thing is that the hierarchy at Leeds might decide, no matter how amazing Marcelo Brielsia is, they might decide that perhaps they need an element more pragmatism in in the club so I feel as if they they you know it, I can't see them coming down on him and saying just you have to change your style just to make sure we stay in the Premier League I don't think they are there's enough of a worry about them just yet give it another couple of games if they lose to Everton at the weekend then there will start to be to be a few worries but but for now I think it's going to stay stay as it is but I, but I see your point but I mean then we wouldn't get the the, the wonderful three all goal uh, three all draws that we see would we and as a neutral I love that yeah that was a, a heck of a game wasn't it Glenn you look at that game Dan James obviously featured very prominently his pace is obvious but he still divides opinion is he the sort of player that you could rely on in a relegation battle and also you know, Bielsa admits that he's worried about Patrick Bamford's injury and he's got no clue when he's back. That's a big blow, isn't it? That is a big blow. I mean, um, we mentioned, you know, injuries in terms of defence is obviously key, but losing your, your main source of goals and Bamford obviously was their key source of goals last year. And also the tone he set for, you know, both pressing from the front and so on was a big factor. I mean, it's only as big as Everton losing Calvert-Lewin. And I think we, you can't ignore that when you look at the position those two teams into compared to where they were last year. As for Dan James, I mean, can you rely on people? Well, you don't just want the guys who are going to be you know, uh, running around like nutters and, and tackling hard and so on. You also need a bit of quality. Yeah, you know, that gets you out of trouble. You need you need some goals. You need someone going to open up opposition. So you, sometimes you get players who, who maybe they do drift in and out of the games a little bit, but if they can produce that little bit of quality that maybe the other teams towards the bottom end haven't got. I mean, Sam Maximum would be a, a good example of that extra bit of quality that Newcastle have got at times. If they can produce that often enough... And his goals record's not bad since he came to Leeds. He's done okay for them. Yeah, he's only 24. He's, he's obviously still improving as a player. I think those are the players that, you know, I remember uh, years ago, I can't remember who the player was, but, you know, talking about, you know, luxury players. That might have been Letizia, yeah. And the manager said, well, he's not the luxury players. He's the other 10 blokes who can't pass for the luxury players. Yeah, you, you do need something special sometimes, and that applies just as much at the bottom as it does at the top. Yeah. Well, looking at the bottom or looking down towards the bottom, Brentford, they're at Old Trafford in the BG Sports Saturday lunchtime game. Faye, 
you know, there are a few warning bells sounding. Five Premier League defeats on the bounce, six if you include the FA Cup tie. Do you see, you know, I was thinking about this, do you see any parallel with Ian Holloway's Blackpool team, who had a, you know, really outstanding first half of their season, but went down on the final day? Yeah, I can see that. But again, with Brentford, they've they've had similar problems in terms of injuries and defensive injuries as well, as we were mentioning with, with Everton. That's been a real problem for them. They've had no consistency because of that. If you lose your main goalkeeper in David Rea as well, that's going to cause problems. Fernandez just isn't up to the same standard as him. Zanka as well, you know, key players that are out they do need a few more goals perhaps a few suggestions that maybe they could change their formation obviously Thomas Frank has, has stuck with his 3-5-2 that got them promoted from the championship in the first place perhaps that needs a that needs a tweak I know some Brentford fans are calling perhaps for Vissa, Tony and Mbwemo to start together they've, they've ended games but they've never started the three of them up front I think their fixture list improves towards the end of the season. So that, you know, bodes well for them. But what they don't want is to have, you know, they've had five consecutive defeats now. What they don't want is to extend that run and then, you know, all the confidence be zapped out of the out of the squad. I think they're probably the side I worry about the most at the minute. They need to start getting players back soon. I think Rea is back. I think he played at the weekend. But, you know, it's going to take him a little while to get back up to speed after that length of time out. Yeah, I mean, they've lost six in the bounce, if you count the FA Cup. They've conceded 18, 18 goals. Um, they do look as if, you know, obviously teams you know, do a lot of research. It's too simplistic to say they've been found out, but teams are much more aware of what they do well and what they do badly. And you, those newly promoted teams do need their early bounce, and it and they started off very well with that early bounce, but it started to go quite sour quite quickly. Yeah, and if they're not picking up points, they certainly haven't got enough at the moment. They do need to start turning things around. Mm, yeah, that's to be honest. That's why I, I thought the the Blackpool comparison was pretty apposite because mm. that's exactly mm. what they did. You know, they they were they were found out in the analyst suite more than anywhere else. Let's take Man United if we could then fate. You know, we're we're led to believe that the players are deciding they almost need a, a say in managerial appointments. You know, the the word filtering down from on high is that they quite like Pochettino to turn up. Is this just another sign of a really dire dressing room culture? A leaky dressing room, for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I saw one report saying 13 players thought Pochettino was the uh, was the right <laughs> man for the, for the job. It's very specific. Uh, players should not be deciding managers coming to the club. And this is where, you know, we've talked on so many occasions about, about Manchester United. They need to get their house in order. It's It's a little bit shambolic at the moment. You can tell with Cristiano Ronaldo's body language, he's not happy. Reports that he wants to talk to his agent about what he does going forward. It's not a good look to be the first player off the pitch, mm. uh, for sure. <sighs> Pochettino's been linked with this job for, for a long time. I don't know. I think it's 12, is it 12 or 13 games Ralph Ranić has been in interim charge for. I don't really know what he's done to to improve them or stabilise them or, or, or anything else. And clearly, some players don't enjoy playing under him. With Pochettino and, and PSG, you know, potential coming to Manchester United, 
in in the summer. I think that would be a very good a, appointment for them. But that should be the Manchester United hierarchy choosing Mauricio Pochettino as the right appointment for them, not the players. I do feel that Pochettino United is one of those unrequited romances that will probably have to happen at some stage so both parties can find out if it works or not. I mean, as Faye mentioned, this has been talked about for a long time, so it's not just coming from the current dressing room, it's been coming from you know, much other levels within the club over the period of years. It's clearly been looked at for quite a long time. There's an element of the player power, obviously. I mean, you know, I thought for a moment we blundered into a cricket podcast and talked about the Australians getting rid of their coach. <laughs> um, but yeah, these days... Yeah, but the Australians win a lot of cricket. <laughs> Indeed. And, still, and the players still manage to push the coach out. That's an indication of the power to an extent, or, or the fact that maybe they felt in a different position in their development now. But um, it is a case, I think, I, I can see this happening. A lot will depend in what happens in Paris, of course, and they've got quite an important game of Real Madrid coming up in the Champions League. I mean, so uh, yeah, he may or may not be available. Mm. Talking about availability, yeah, a lot is obviously, you know, we, we should concentrate on what goes on on the pitch to a large degree. Harry Maguire, fate. He seems to be continually exposed, a little bit like Tyrone Mings at Villa. You know, they don't look like England defenders, do they? Mm, not at the moment. Are they being protected in midfield? Correctly, I would say. Mm, you know, you, you have to you have to look at that. But they're certainly not at the form we've seen them in. There have been questions over Tyrone Mings for quite a long time and then he pops up and has an absolutely fantastic game, but the, the consistency's not there. I don't feel as if we've had the same consistency from Harry Maguire since the Euros, really, for Manchester United. But, you know, possibly there's so much going on but behind the scenes that we're just not getting the best out of him at all because, you know, he, he's a fantastic defender. He doesn't just... You don't just lose all your all your quality overnight, perhaps a, a lack of confidence, I don't know. But yeah, the exposure definitely, I think it needs to be looked at other other areas of the pitch. And, and he's an, a very, again, a very easy target. You know you know what this world is like. It's, um, mm. you pick a name, a Deli Ali, a Harry Maguire, whoever it is, and, you know, the narrative is, is there and, and people will just, it's a tap-in for them, isn't it, sometimes? I... I hope he regains his form. He's a very important part of Gareth Southgate's England squad in, in part of the leadership team as as well as obviously defensively. And he, he was fantastic in, in the Euros. So, yeah, hopefully he'll regain that. But I think there's other there's other problems at Manchester United than than Harry Maguire. I think when you I think when it comes to Maguire and to Mings and quite a lot of players, I don't think we can underestimate the impact of losing the final of the Euros. When you've been that you've been that bubble situation, so it's much more intense than usual. You're at home, basically a home competition, so which also adds the intensity. You reach the final completely uncharted waters, and if you run through that squad, yeah, look at the other players: Pickford, Kane, Sterling, Shaw. They haven't had great seasons. Uh, Phillips has not been affected Declan Rice though, has it? <laughs> well, I was going to say, I was, I was going to say actually, if you run through that squad, Declan Rice is probably the only player, perhaps Saka to an extent, and Trippier. Who had a good season? Almost everybody else, even the peripheral players like Grealish, Rashford, Sancho, Stones, who was obviously a big player for England but not for Man City, there's hardly anybody in that squad, with the exception certainly of Rice, but hardly anybody else who, who you could say is having a good season. And they were the second best team in Europe, yeah, for the summer, and they're all having poor seasons. I don't think we can underestimate the, the sort of mental and physical exhaustion of coming off that and then coming into a league season that started early. 
because of the uh, the, uh, the World Cup coming up next, later in the year. So that, that can't be underestimated. It will take, you know, there's very little break and pause for players these days. Yeah, well, that's that was you know summed up by Mo Salah uh, making his substitute appearance on Thursday night. So, Glenn, you know, looking at that game against Leicester, Salah, I thought was you know, the the authentic Salah, wasn't he, when he came on? Just dwell a little bit on him, please. But also the the underlying lessons of that performance by Luis Diaz. It was absolutely seamless in terms of being a debut, wasn't it? And Presumably, also, it just points up how good they are at their recruitment. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? I mean, we talk about January being a bad time to sign players, and, and um, yeah, you tend to get people who nobody wants. Um, he does look like he's dropped in perfectly. Um, I know Arsenal interested in the summer. You know, Cubs win here. They're very good. Copa America. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily a guarantee that someone's going to be a good player just because they've done well in a tournament. And we've seen plenty of those players over the years. But he um, does look like he fits in perfectly to where you, where they are. And I mean, with him and Diego Jota, suddenly they've got they've got quite a lot of competition in that for those front places now at Liverpool, which they haven't had, if you go back a couple of years, it's basically a pretty rigid front three. They've got a lot of competition, which means, you know, in theory, you can give people a bit of a rest. You're less reliant on, um, you know, one or two individuals in theory. You do wonder if you're a conspiracist that you're back in mind, whether they're preparing for Salah moving. If he did decide that he wasn't going to sign a new contract, then at least they've covered the bases. And let's be honest, it's much, much better to buy players before you've sold your player for 100, 100, 150, 200 million, and everyone knows you've got all this money, get them in early. Alternatively, if he, if he does stay, and obviously um, Liverpool fans, indeed, anyone watching the, watching the Premier League regularly will want him to stay, it does give them a, a very impressive set of forward players who they can mix and match, and quite a lot of versatility, particularly Jota, um, you know, one or two players who can fit in one or two different places. So, yeah, it, it, just, it looks a very good signing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, think about Yotta. Seventeen goals this season, exactly one in two, thirty in sixty for Liverpool. You know, which is you know a heck of a return on, on your investment. And speaking of that, you know, I, I was looking at the way that Liverpool approached that January window, and they actually paid Porto six point six million pounds, even before Diaz had his medical. The idea was to help Porto pay off their debts to UEFA, um, and because they basically, you know, they were they would have suffered sanctions and probably been banned from Europe for three years. So if they didn't pay in time, so that's the way. That's the sort of level that uh, of, of maturity of, of behaviour I think Liverpool you know do in their recruitment process. Mm, can't see Spurs doing that. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but but in, and so Burnley in, in my you know I think Burnley in a way fade did they get one of the bargains of the window because it seems that they found their talisman at least in uh Wout Weghorst. oh he's been fantastic he struggled to get up to speed in the in the Watford game his when he made his debut you could tell he was getting in pockets he was just not being found necessarily and I, you know that obviously in your first game takes a little bit of of coaching on the training pitch as to as to the timings of runs and how you work with different players. But seeing him with Jay Rodriguez against Manchester United, they had a, a fantastic chemistry together, I thought. And that beautiful assist for Rodriguez's goal, I, I'm, I'm very excited uh, about him and what he can do for, for Burnley because obviously goals have, have been a problem for them. They're fantastic in terms of clean sheets, but you know they, they need a goal, a goal scorer. Chris Wood 
I think had only scored three goals before he went to, to Newcastle for Burnley this season. They, they need someone up front that scores more than that. And I, I think Wout Verkhorst is, is that man. Yeah, well, you know, they are in trouble. When you think about it, they've only won five Premier League matches in the past calendar year, um, only one this season. Again, underpinning this, Glenn, is an ownership issue. Tarek Panjo does some terrific stuff for the FT. He tried to ask the owner, the new owner, Alan Pace, what happened if Burnley get relegated? Because by common consent, they're in real trouble if they are. You know, and you've got to remember that he used the club's own cash reserves as well as a, a very high interest loan secured against the club to buy it. His reply, Glenn, I don't want to talk about it. Well, you've got to talk about it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. The reply came there, none as probably, I would say. Um, yeah. I, I think if they go down, they're not. You aren't immediately condemned because I think they've got a relatively low wage bill by Premier League standards, and you do get the parachute payments. And the first year is reasonably generous. I think we've got a similar situation in Bournemouth to an extent that. Bournemouth really need to get back up because they simply don't generate enough cash to meet their outgoings with a stadium of 12,000 people and it's a relatively small catchment area. But if you can get back up in the first couple of seasons, then you get away with it. And that happened to Burnley last time they went down. But admittedly, last time they went down, they hadn't been in the Premier League long and hadn't built up that enormous staff paraphernalia that you have once you've been in the Premier League for a few years. It becomes much harder to cope with it if you've been an established Premier League club, which I guess they are, than if you've just come up for a season and gone back down again. You haven't really been able to develop all that infrastructure that clubs feel they require to stay up. It will be a problem. It would be less of a problem if they made to hang on to most of their squad and mount a credible challenge and come back. And lots of teams have come back in recent years. In fact, over the period of the Premier League, lots of teams have come straight back. However, if they didn't come straight back, then yes, we are looking at a club that, you know, are going back to where, you know, they, 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 they may, we're going back to sort of drifting a little bit in the second or third tiers where they've been for quite a large part of my lifetime. You know, they were obviously the first vision club when I was young, but it, so it does become difficult and, Ideally, there will be a responsibility on owners to bear that sort of thing in mind and to be transparent and to communicate with fans. Unfortunately, Burnley's new ownership doesn't appear to be in that category, like a lot of owners, to be fair. They're hardly alone in that one. Transparency and football aren't natural bedfellows, as we've found many times over the years. So um, you, you would hope that they um, you, you hope that, yeah, they, they stay at least on very much an even kill and that the owners are in it for the long haul and not just for a quick buck. Speaking of um, transparency and perhaps lack of Newcastle, what about the dangers, Faye, of, of triumphalism over one decent win? It was interesting. I, I sort of texted that I thought Sam Maximan was a force of nature and, you know, imagine him in a, in a true top four team. Cue Newcastle fans coming back saying, oh, well, we're going to be in the top four next season. Really? Yeah, money doesn't buy success necessarily. I mean, obviously there are there are other clubs within the league who defy that. However, not that quickly. You've still got to have all of the basics in place and the building blocks and do things sensibly. It feels as if Newcastle are doing that. Sensible recruitment when you look at Kieran Trippier in particular, I think was an absolutely fantastic acquisition. Not just because of what he brings onto the pitch as an England international and, and a versatile player, but what he brings to the dressing room and his leadership skills. And I think they really needed somebody like that 
at, at Newcastle. I think that was fantastic. Defensively, they're going to have to strengthen in, in the summer because they're not good enough defensively at all. I'd love to see Sam Maximan playing with like some real exciting international talent up there because his pace is just insane. And I feel as if he's a bit of a confidence player sometimes. And you could see that confidence had kind of returned in that win over Everton. Top four, too early next season, perhaps. But, and I know this will be a controversial view, bearing in mind how they've come to the, the, the place they're in at the moment. But for someone who grew up in, in the 90s with, with Newcastle, a, a force to be reckoned with, I'm actually really delighted for the fan base that they can finally be talking about top four again. Yeah, true. You know, they, they'll be travelling in their hordes to Villa on, on Sunday, I'm sure. With Villa, Glenn, you know, it's only very early days in, in Steven Gerrard's Premier League managerial career, but he looks the manner born, doesn't he? What about his personal involvement in, in recruitment, you know, in specific terms, Philippe Coutinho? That's really paying off, isn't it? This is one of the advantages of, of bringing in like a, a club, a, a football legend, as you might say, you know, someone who people want to play for. I mean, it happened with Everton bringing Daddy Alley at short notice. I mean, he wanted to play under Frank. And Gerard, obviously, with his personal connection to Coutinho and his reputation in the game, that, that is going to help in terms of recruitment. I mean, it doesn't help you when it comes to coaching, because it doesn't help you when it comes to setting up the side, but it does help you bring players in. But it looks as if Gerard also knows what he's doing when it comes to coaching and setting up the side. And I know he, you know, he uses his assistants well, he delegates more authority and responsibility so you know it's, it's got a good balance it's, it's not all about him yeah so it looks like a nicely nicely set up and at the moment things you'd have to say are, are doing very well and he's had some valuable experience in, in you know scotland a big club what we haven't seen yet is yeah, what happens if villa suddenly get a couple of bad injuries they lose four or five on the bounce you know how does he respond in those circumstances but i suspect given the um things and fortunes of joe's own playing career and he's a pretty level-headed guy. I imagine he will you know, stay calm and, and, and maintain a focus there if, 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 if that would happen. And let's be honest, it happens to all managers at some point when you have a bad spell. It's inevitable. Yeah. Well, certainly, you, you look around his coaching staff, it's, it's very you know, broad in terms of experience. He's got that you know, set-pieces coach that, from Michelin. Because if you look at them at set-pieces, they're very inventive. Just want to, he also dwelt after that Leeds game, Faye, on Jacob Ramsey. Now, at 20, you know, there's an England World Cup candidate if you've ever seen one, isn't there? Yeah, without a doubt. I think Gareth Southgate has his, has his eye on him for, for sure. So young, has really struck up a fantastic partnership with Philippe Coutinho, which is wonderful to see because he'll just improve exponentially under that kind of guidance. Coutinho set up both his goals against Leeds. They scored and assisted together in the Manchester United draw, I think, as well. He's only just become a first-team regular. I think he's already got five goals and, and one assist as well. And absolutely, it would be fantastic to see him as part of the squad ahead of the March internationals against Switzerland and, and Ivory Coast and, and see what he can bring to the international stage. Sure. Looking, the only other team really that we've not touched on near the bottom probably is Norwich. Only two defeats in seven, Glenn, but I suppose we're in the territory of anything that they get from their next two games against Manchester City and Liverpool as you know, a great bonus, isn't it? 
Indeed, well, I think we called last time I was on. We, you know, you said to me, "Norwich are dead, aren't they?" And I said, "Well, you never know. A couple of wins changes everything. It changes all the momentum." <laughs> and it has. And yeah, suddenly at Norwich, they're thinking, "Well, we could get out of this." And more to the point, well, as much as the point, teams like Everton, Newcastle, Leeds are thinking, "Norwich could get out of this," in which case someone else has to go. So it adds up the pressure on everyone else. You have to say, yeah, I mean, they've got a shocking record against Liverpool uh, over the years, because tend to see a lot of goals. And obviously, most teams have got a bad record against Manchester City. So it's going to be two difficult games for them. These are the sort of matches to an extent, if you come out of them with a narrow defeat and you really battle well and so on, in terms of morale and team spirit, that's almost as good as you know, picking up a point. I mean, obviously, you don't get anything in the ledger for it. But uh, yeah, what you want to avoid is a big, heavy defeat that knocks back all the momentum you built up. Yeah, that's, that's what you want to avoid, really, which makes it quite difficult in terms of how you set a team up. I mean, I know it's, you know, Brentford basically defended very, very deep and solidly last night. Um, City had three quarters of possession. But I guess, given the run that Brentford were on, they will come out of a 2 0 defeat thinking, well, that's not bad. You know, we'll we take that. Goal difference could be a factor at the end of the season. And City are one of those teams that are perfectly capable of racking up seven, eight goals. Mm. You know, lest, lest we forget, and it's pretty easy to forget, isn't it, Faye? Yeah, there is a, a you know, supposedly or purportedly major trophy going to be decided on Saturday, the Club World Cup, you know, which involves uh, Chelsea. I just want to basically bring this down to almost one individual, Kepa. Would you play him on 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 Saturday as almost like a, a reward for keeping Mendy's shirt warm, or would you welcome, you know? Again, a champion in his own right coming back uh, into the team. Oh, it's so difficult because Roman Abramovich covets the Club World Cup. It's the only trophy since he bought Chelsea that they haven't won. So, will will Edouard Mendy be tired from his Afghan experience? I don't he'll be know. Walking on, he'll answer. be walking on the ceiling, won't he? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's just no loyalty in football and no romanticism in that way. They don't owe Kepa anything, do they? I think you play so... Kepa. I mean, it's, it's not a matter whether you owe him or not. I, I'd play Kepa because he's been playing in the grounds, he's been playing in the venues, the, the air, the, the ball, all that technical stuff. It's not as if he's some kind of mug. I mean, he's a 70 million goalkeeper. I, I, I'd play Kepa. Um, and if it goes to penalties, I fancy Chelsea, whichever one's in goal. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, yeah. That's a, that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Glenn, West Hammer at Leicester on Sunday. Uh, they're in fourth place, but no one is taking the positives from that, are they? And presumably, all that self-inflicted, isn't it? The fallout from the Zuma controversy has just been like a mushroom cloud, hasn't it, over that club? Uh, it's... <sighs> It's one of those things, the game football manager, they try and be as accurate and true to life as possible. All sorts of scenarios crop up when you're trying to run the team. No one could have invented the idea that one of your star, one of your star players, your best player, player centre half, kicks a cat, it's filmed on video and gets out, and what do you do with it? It's one of those inconceivable situations. But what you don't do is put him in the team in the next game. Mm. Um, I, I was astonished 
they picked him. Absolutely astonished in the circumstances. Even if you could argue, you know, from a football point of view, well, is his head in the right place? Is it worth the risk? As a football point of view, but from a moral point of view, it's absolute madness. And now, of course, you end up in this worst of both worlds in that you pick him and, and then you decide you might drop him rather than... So you, you, get, you, get, you lose both ways. Very poor decision for the club. Bad for the game in general because the many, many detractors of the game another you know, it's a, unfortunately, excuse the pun, to, to kick the game. Um, yeah. There's a lot of talk. Would you be suspended in another job in these circumstances? I suspect in, in not many people would ever, you know, because of the profile of footballers, this video would never get out and your employers would never find out. However, there is the instance of the uh, teacher who was hitting the horse, who I think has been suspended or lost her job and was being sued by the RSPCA. So there is a certain amount of precedent. I, I, I was just astonished they picked him. They can't continue to pick him. They've got to be suspending. There are certain things you, you really should sort of rise above that. Very, very difficult. But there you go. That's football, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, but I suppose should we stand by and just, you know, get away with that pretty, you know, trite line, you know, it's just football. We all know that. But, you know, when you think about it, do clubs and sponsors and owners and even individuals within the game do enough in all sorts of ills that we see in society, fate, you know, whether that's racism or homophobia or violence against women or transphobia or whatever you want to say. And, you know, I, I happen to believe that I think people's character are revealed in the way that they actually deal with their pets. So, you know, I'm not giving Zuma a free pass in any way, shape or form, mm. but it's a very broad issue, this, isn't it? Yeah, very. Um, it's... I've had a few conversations that I've felt really uncomfortable with over this situation. I can understand where some people perhaps say the pile-on has been too much. I don't like trial by social media particularly. However, I cannot believe anybody can watch that video and not be sickened by what they saw. And regardless of his character in a dressing room for example not that that is any kind of excuse you question somebody's personality as you say and you question everything about them if they're capable of doing something like that I think we're very quick to judge footballers because they're in the public eye and actually there are hundreds and thousands of footballers who do amazing things behind the scenes but don't actually talk about it they don't highlight it it's not you know, they, they, they raise issues, they, they give money, they support charities, they support people and they just don't, you know, use it as a PR exercise, if you see what I mean. I do wish football in general had better morals. But football, unfortunately, is a business and somebody like Kurt Zuma is viewed as an asset. And that's where lines get blurred as to what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, I think it's a personal choice in all this, isn't it? You know, I was brought up to believe in that difference, you know, the essential difference that you talked about there, Faye, of, of difference between right and wrong. Getting back to another aspect of football, I suppose, is the pressure that managers are, are continually under. As I said, West Ham are at Leicester. Another loss, this time at Anfield on Thursday night. Brendan Rodgers is under increasing pressure there, isn't he, um, Glenn? 
He is. Well, I guess that's inevitable. And he said himself, he's been in the game long enough to know you're going to be under pressure in these circumstances if you don't win matches. My feeling would be, were I the Leicester hierarchy, that this is one of those rare occasions where you change the players rather than the manager. He's got a good body of work there. He's got a good body of work in his career as a whole. We know he's an excellent coach. He improves players. Yeah, they've obviously, they've had injury problems. <clears throat> I mean, uh, Vardy's not been you know, regularly fit this season. He's a big player for them. They've had other players out. Harvey Barnes was late coming in the team in terms of injury. Madison yeah, at the back, well, they've missed big players. James Justin. Fafana, James Justin, mm. um, Johnny Evans. So they have had a lot of problems and they haven't got the depth that you know, some of the big, you know, bigger clubs have got in terms of bringing in reserve players, that, so you wouldn't necessarily notice it. So I think that has been a big factor. There is an indication that as those players have come back or some have come back, it hasn't necessarily led to the improvement you might have expected. I think we would have expected Leicester to be picking up a bit more by now. But my feeling would be that you know, you've got a good manager then, Brendan Rodgers, and I'd be reluctant to change him. I don't think there's going to be that many better managers out there in terms of building the side and you know, improving the players you've got. I, I, my thing would be give him the opportunity this summer. The ones who aren't doing it, ship them out, bring in replacements. There is plenty of money at Leicester. They tend to spend it fairly carefully, but there is quite a bit of cash there. They do need to improve the side. Yeah, uh, well, he's already spoken about you know, planning being well underway there. And presumably you know, you've got signs there, and certainly they, they were apparent at Anfield, Faye, of a manager looking for a solution you know, they're extremely and consistently vulnerable at set pieces. Yet Rogers had established central defenders on the bench at Liverpool and he played Amati alongside Ndidi. So, you know, as I say, he's he's thrashing around trying to get a, a solution to this, isn't he? Yeah, he's got to thrash around a bit quicker. I would say they need um, <laughs> they they really need things to things to change in their favour. As Glenn said, though, you know you lose the momentum when you have those kind of injuries, and we've talked about it, and it seems very lazy saying it again. But losing Wesley Fofana, for example, you know in, in that friendly pre-season is still a massive, massive problem. But they've had chances to solve it. I still think Brendan Rodgers is an excellent manager. I think everybody goes through points like this. I know a lot of Leicester fans are are very unhappy with the situation at the moment because they really thought that they could do something special this season. Again, that's obviously not, not the case. I don't know what his solution is because I'm not a football manager. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here recording this podcast on a, on a Friday morning. You love it, don't you? I do absolutely love it, but I'd also love Brendan Rogers' salary if I was good enough to do it. So, yeah, fair enough. When you think about it, you know, and, and again, inevitably, Glenn Graham Potter, surprise, surprise, has been linked as a potential successor if anything goes wrong at Leicester. Brighton, they're at Watford at the weekend. When Potter wanders into uh, Vicarage Road, uh, would he be forgiven in wondering how? And why Roy Hodgson keeps coming back for more at the age of 74. Especially a club where they tend to put the manager's name up in chalk um, <laughs> and leave the sponge. <sighs> Roy just loves it, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he just loves it. I mean, interesting with Grand Potter's doing it at his age. I mean, I know we've come on to Hassan Hootel, but Roy's like, um, yeah, Bobby Robson was, Ferguson was to an extent, uh, yeah, one of those managers who just can't really keep away. It's funny. We're looking at, I look at ages, the, the, those great 
figures that we grew up with in our childhood. Shankly quit at 60, Clough at 59, Steen obviously was died, unfortunately, obviously sadly for him at 62, Ramsey at 58, last time he was a manager, uh, Graham Taylor 58, George Graham 56. Now, obviously, in some of those cases, they weren't vo voluntarily retiring, but that was the last time they managed. In other cases, it was when they were retired. I think Shankly regretted it afterwards. But um, some people just, whereas now we do expect managers to go on longer, like in many walks of life, we expect people to work, you know, people will go and work longer. I mean, yeah, Joe Biden's 79. So we are, you know, people living longer and going on longer. So there's an assumption that people will keep going. Uh, and we're always in great shape. He doesn't seem to, you know, he's had a bit of time off. We decided it's not that interesting, given the opportunity to get his hands dirty. I mean, I would not be remotely surprised if I saw Neil Warnock back in the dugout at some stage. He's retired as many times as Sinatra. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, many times, it's great to have that infusion, that buzz, and it does play itself off in the dressing room. Yeah, players are aware of it. Yeah, the manager's full of a buzz and enthusiasm. It, it, it does help, you know, particularly if you try and lift the side. So we'll see. I'll, I'll wish him all the best. But, yeah, we'll be interested to see how many others will be doing it at that age. Yeah, as Glenn mentioned there, Faye, Ralph Hasenhutl, he, he marked his 500th match of his managerial career with an appropriately exhausting win at Spurs. He then has been quite publicly considering retiring in 2024, when he'd be about 56, 57, as a result of the cumulative strains of management. What does that say, do you think, about his trade? Okay, he has rode back from those comments to a degree, but what does that say about his trade, you know, the, the job that he does? It's stressful. <laughs> mm. look, look at them on the touchline, you know, they're living and breathing every single moment during a game, and that's just 90 minutes. You don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes at training grounds, the time spent coaching, analysing, etc., etc. You know, obviously they're recompensed very well for, for the job that they do, but they're away from their families so much. It's, it's an all-consuming job, the life as a, as a manager. For every Roy Hodgson, there's probably a Ralph Harsenhutl that thinks, OK, I'm approaching 60. I'd quite like to enjoy my retirement, spend time with my family and take away the stresses that, that, that this game has, has brought me. You know, we know how relentless football is. We, we, we all work in it. We very rarely get any time off because it does not stop. Well, you think it does not stop for us. Imagine what it's like being... Being a manager, you don't switch off even when you're on holiday because you're thinking, who do I recruit? You know, various other things going on. You have behavioural incidents to have to deal with. There's always something being thrown at you. So I can completely understand from Ralph Hasenhutl's point of view why he'd want to do that. What I do question is why he decided to say it when he's got two and a half years left on his contract because that perhaps is not the smartest thing to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose if I've got one image, enduring image of him, uh, Glenn, is those tears that he shed on the touchline when they beat Liverpool last season. Is there a sense, do you think, that he hasn't received sufficient credit for, for building pretty much a team from scratch at a time of transition for the club? You know, they've only just got new owners. Yeah, he's done very well. He's done very well to survive new owners because new owners traditionally bring in their own manager. He, ha he has cope with some good, you know, some very good players leaving. I think credit needs to be given to the ownership Southampton over the last few years in that not many managers would survive being beaten 9-0 twice. 
and saying the job. The knee-jerk reaction of most boards is to get rid when you suffer defeat as humiliating as that, and they've stuck with him. So I think some, some credit credit is due both ways. People are wired differently. I can understand why some people want to work until they're 80, some people want to quit when they're 60. I know pers- personally know examples of both. What I do think, though, if I was reading that and I was just at the Austrian FA, I'd be thinking it's time to start making some gentle contact contact and putting some ideas in his head because international football isn't quite as all-consuming as big at the big tournaments as the club version and it might be the nice way to sort of step aside and sort of wind down a little bit and yet still retain more time with family more time off and yet stay in the game a little spell managing Austria for three or four years yeah not a bad shout I must admit I found it really interesting that Hasenhutl played down his comments because it seemed to me that he was speaking from the heart when he spoke of those pressures. Now, as Faye hinted there, he can't really confirm anything because the assumption of impending retirement would completely erode his authority. Owners, they hate uncertainty. Certain players exploit it. Fans, they don't really care, do they? They just want to get on and watch a winning team. That's the world in which all managers work. Do you think fans give managers an even break? I'm not so sure, but I understand why. Let me know your views, please. In the meantime, thanks to Faye and Glenn for their insight. And thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.